0: If you came to a doctor and you said, Doctor, I'm weak, I'm losing weight, I don't know what's wrong with me. And he asks you, well, what are you feeding yourself? And you say, well, I feed myself one hot meal a week. He would say, well, that's your problem. It's not exercise. It's not even what you're saying out of your mouth. It's what you're putting. The Bible says... That it's not that what goes in a man, but what comes out. If you don't put stuff in your, in your spirit, if you don't feed upon this word, then stuff will come out. This is nourishment. This is health. The Bible says it's health to our body. I don't know. I, I, know, I, I don't know about you, but I don't starve my body. <laughs> it takes a lot to feed all this. You know what I'm saying? To keep this machine going. You know what I'm saying? It takes, I'm looking around at some of you, it takes a lot to keep your machine going. What about your spirit? We've spent trillions of dollars on developing the human body. We spend, I mean, just trillions of dollars developing the human brain. But how much do we spend developing the human spirit, which is the real us? And this word will feed and nourish Your spirit. This word will feed and nourish your spirit to the point where it will get you to a place where you will tell your body to hush. Is that better instead of, yeah. It will tell your body to hush. (laughs) It will get your mind and your will and your emotions in alignment with what God has created inside of you. This word, listen, me preaching may be good, but it ain't all you need. It's a part of this process. The connect groups, the purpose of the... I don't care if you get together and talk about underwater basket weaving. It doesn't matter. The point of the connect groups is what? To connect. Relationship. The kingdom of God was never built, was never developed. The church was never based upon programs and functions. It was based upon family. It was based upon God coming down, the Holy Spirit coming down and energizing us to take this message through the avenue of relationship to everyone around us. But none of that matters if you don't feed upon this Word. And so, Father, this morning, we feed upon this Word We ask you to enlighten us, to open the minds and the hearts of our spirit to be able to receive the engrafted word which is able to save our souls, which gives us that nourishment that we need. And so, as we partake of that, we thank you for it. Take your Bibles and just declare this with me this is my Bible. It is food, it is nourishment. Here, take your cell phones. Some of you don't have Bibles anymore. You got cell phones. Get both. This is food to my spirit. It is health to my spirit. It causes life in my body. I am what it says I am. And I can do what it says I can do. I believe I will receive everything that He has for me this morning. In the name of Jesus, I am the righteousness of God. I am a new person. If you're born again, you say that with passion. I'm a new creature. I'm not the old person. Say your name. I'm not the old, Lawrence. I don't mean say my name. Say your name. I'm not the old, Lawrence. I'm the new man. He makes all things new. Well, I don't like today. Well, then bless God, it's a new day. Well, yesterday was terrible. Yesterday's gone. Today is today. It's a new day. It's a fresh start. Well, I just, you know, it's 5 till 12, it's 5 till eleven. Well, my morning's been rough. Well, guess what? It's a new day. It's, it's brand new. Just start over right now, right now today. Right now, this moment. Just start over. Glory to God. What else, kid? Can, you can't do that nowhere else. You know, when you were playing as kids, you used to say, oh, can I get another chance? Got a second chance? A third chance? God is the God of multiple chances. Even one of the disciples said, well, how many chances do we get? And he said, as many as seven times 70. Well, how many times do I forgive that person? How many times do I give them another chance? He said, more than you can even muster up in and of yourself. Much, much more. His mercies and His grace far outlast, far outweigh anything that you and I could ever do, ever say, or ever be. Thank God His grace is not limited to what you think or what I think. Because I'm telling you right now, I'd have done cut it off a long time ago with some folks. I'd have just cut it off. But He doesn't cut us off. He doesn't cut them off. It is the goodness. It is the goodness. What is the gospel? It is good news. It is the good news. Listen to me. God is the God of second chances. God is the God of the second touch. I heard a minister the other day preaching on that. God is the God of second touch. I'm going to steal that message. It's good. Even Jesus needed help. Jesus was discouraged. And at the Garden of Eden, he said, if there be any other way, he was revealing a part of his humanity which is not in and of itself Evil. It is not bad. Well, I can't believe. He said, said, Father, if there be any other way. He knew the way. But he said, if there be any other way, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And on the road to his crucifixion, he was in such despair and in such weakness that he's failed. And what happened? God sent a man by the name of Simon to pick up the cross and carry it for him the rest of the way. Peter stepped out stepped out on the boat and began to walk on the water and looked at the wind and the waves and got distracted, got discouraged, got fearful and began to sink. Jesus didn't reach down to pick him up and say, you sorry, no good, When you should should have been. What's wrong with your faith, boy? No, he didn't. He picked him up and he said, where was your faith? (coughs) He didn't get on to him. From a condemnation standpoint, he used it as an opportunity to teach him. But guess what? He saved him first. God is a God of second and third and fourth chances. Heard somebody say one time, said, uh, <clears throat> well, you know, I don't believe in that deathbed salvation. Well, apparently Jesus did because on the cross he turned and looked to the, to the, uh, to the uh, thief and he said, today... See that's a works mentality. That's a, that's a condemnation mentality. Well, you can't get saved like that. You got to do something. No, He did something. All we got to do is receive it. <clears throat> his mercy, His grace is new every morning. I don't know. Maybe that's for somebody. I'm a new I'm a new person what good is forgiveness if you can't utilize it you know Jesus didn't just you know the bloods and bulls of goats covered our sin in the Old Testament it covered it for a period of a year then they had to come back and do it again. It was a temporary band-aid. Jesus comes in and wipes the slate clean. Past, present, and future. That's a powerful message. People don't come to church now because they're still operating in alignment with that old mentality. Well, I'm not good enough. You don't know my life. And that's a wrong mentality to have. Our message is, brother, it don't matter. It's all been taken care of. The check's been paid and tip was included. Father this morning, as we just step into everything you have for us, we thank you that we're new. It's a new it's a new start. and we move forward with you, we declare that we're gonna receive everything you have for us this morning in the name of Jesus. And everybody said Amen, Amen, Amen. 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 I don't <clears throat> that was all, I guess just an appetizer. I guess it's just free. I'll let you have that for free. I won't charge you nothing. Amen. Well, turn to Habakkuk. <clears throat> That's been our that has been our our text Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 1 you remember <clears throat> we're finishing up the series on vision and so my heart this morning is to do two things I want to kind of cast the vision give you a little bit of what's coming and then I want to give you some practical things to apply in your life and to explain some things as to how we function and why we do it you know if, if vision is the what then the mission is the how. Does that make sense? Vision is the big picture. I, <clears throat> I'm a big picture guy. I see the big picture, and sometimes the frustrating part for, for, uh, for not frustrating, sometimes the challenge for me or for anybody that sees a big vision or that sees so far in the future, all of you have vision inside of you somewhere, some way. <clears throat> God's created us as people of vision. Can somebody say Amen. So you see that vision, and sometimes the balancing act or the challenge is, I see myself as a professional football player. How do I get there? Or I see myself as a, uh, I'm going to use you as an example. Is that okay? Don't he look good this morning with the bow tie? Don't you like that? He could pull that off. I couldn't. But <clears throat> we sat the other night at the elders meeting, and we began to talk about vision. And he remembers being 14 years old and saying to himself, I want to be a doctor. There was something inside of him that said, I want to be a doctor. Well, if you've listened to him, if you've heard his testimony, he didn't go to medical school right out of, right out of college. He actually became a teacher. And he was a teacher. Was it, was it what English teacher? Science teacher for years. And then one day he was at a crossroads and he knew that, that, that God had called him to do that. He knew that was in him. And so he began to take steps in preparation. And now today he is a doctor. It started with a vision. It started with something that God had placed down inside of him and there's a lot of steps that have to take place to get to the end result. We think that we have to finish all of them, map them all out, but really in all honesty what we do is we follow the plan of God for our life. And so part of the vision for us has been to cast the recast the vision. The Lord said in Proverbs 29 it says this, <clears throat> It says, where there is no vision, no redemptive revelation of God, the people perish. The message version says, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what He reveals, they are most blessed. There's something about keeping God's vision in front of you that keeps you grounded. Despite what may transpire, despite what may happen, there's something about keeping that vision in front of you. Uh, <clears throat> some of you are maybe believing God for some things because God's put a vision inside of you. Write that vision down, put it on a sticky note, and post it everywhere. Do something to keep that vision in the forefront of your mind because the Bible, everybody believe the Bible, says if that where there is no vision, where you don't see it, you don't meditate on it, you don't acknowledge it, then you and I will perish, we will lose our way. A friend of mine says this great quote, and I love it. If you don't know where you're going, then you'll follow any road. Because the world, the enemy, will make sure that he gives you the roads that are most traveled. He will give you alternatives that will lead you down a road that you don't want to go. But see, thank God for grace and mercy. We think sometimes as a Christian... That the plan of God is one way. It's a one, it's a straight line. The shortest distance between two points is what? Right. is a straight line. As the crow flies. Right? But in life, things happen. And we get off. And <clears throat> I remember we got off, in, in early on in our marriage, we got off track. With some thing. We made a decision concerning a job, concerning finances, and we got off track. And the, the word of the Lord came to us. And, and the word of the Lord was, I will make the crooked paths straight. And the revelation that I got, the vision that I saw, was when you say, all right, Lord, I'm off the path and I don't have any idea how to get back. Father, I, I just surrender my life. I, here I am, help me get back on track. He goes, He calls in the angels of the Lord and they bring in the spiritual bulldozers and the pavers and they even set up flashers so nobody gets in your way. You know what I'm saying? Down here they got these where they've been doing all this construction down here. They got all those cones lined up And they got all those machines paving, making everything nice and smooth. But they got somebody directing traffic. When you get off the path, that's what God does. He summons His construction team together and they begin to make a road where there was no road. He begins to make a way where there was no way, where there seems to be no way. I don't care how many years you've walked away from the Lord. I don't care how old you are. I don't care what has happened in your life. The vision for God's life for you is a new path and it's paved. So for us, for me, for us, for this church, I knew and we knew in our heart that it was time to kind of cast the vision. So let me just reiterate again the vision. I'm going to tell you the what and then we're going to talk about the how. The vision that God gave us, was change, impact, and activate. Change, <clears throat> how? Change through relational discipleship. I'll get into that. I mean, relational evangelism. I'll get into that a little bit more. But relational, the, the, the gospel always travels best on the highway of relationship. It always does. Some, uh, Apollos planted, no, Paul planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. The, the best planners are the ones that are already in the life. The best waterers are sometimes the ones that are in relationship with those lives. And so our heart is to change. What are we trying to change? In, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, <clears throat> Jesus turned to those that said, but Lord, didn't we do all this stuff in your name? I mean, we raised the dead, we healed the sick, we preached the gospel. And he said, yeah, but I never knew you. So our heart is to change through relational evangelism. It's, it's through relationship, to get in there and to help people know God. That's what our heart is, to help you, to help them know God. Help me help you. <laughs> help, uh, that's what God's called us to do, is to help them know God. The next aspect is impact. Change, impact, impact through, again, relational discipleship, relational connection, relational transformation. It's, it's getting in there and helping them find freedom and at the same time discovering their purpose in God. Um, <clears throat> now listen to me before we go any further. Sometimes it is a slower process. <clears throat> My wife, April, she's not here this morning. My middle daughter, Lainey, I think she's Somehow, she's you athletes, y'all, I mean, she is an athlete. Her knee's been given her trouble, so she's laying off the knee, and April doesn't feel well this morning. So they're home, and so what does she do? She's got a roast in the crock pot. Now, if you try to cook that roast in 30 minutes, it ain't going to work. I mean, you can cook a roast in 30 minutes, I guess. It'd take a blowtorch, right? Pressure cooker you could put. But now, let me tell you this. I got you for another maybe 40 minutes, maybe 30 minutes. Got you for another 30 minutes. Then we're going to lock up. Everybody's going to go home. We're going to get in our truck and we're going to ride to the house. And when we get home, guess what? That roast will have been cooking for a long, long time. So when we get ready to eat, it's just going to fall off in my plate. And it's going to, like Mr. Timmy says, it's just going to get all in my mouth, right? But it took time. It took time. Impacting someone's life takes time. It's not something that happens like that. It takes time. It takes time to help them find freedom in Christ. See, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There's freedom that God offers for the children of God, but that takes place in the confines of relationship. Discovering who they are. You don't discover who you are in the blink of an eye, it's a process that you begin to mine and cultivate through relationship and the, and the, and the uh, Holy Spirit begins to bring out in you things that you never knew were there, but they were always there because He's mining you. Salvation is instant, uh, but, um, but, but, but the process that we go to to get what's inside out is a process. We work out our salvation. The key to heaven is right there. But the process of salvation, sanctification, which is the working out of what God's created is, is a process you have to get through years and years of flesh and mentality. The Bible says to be transformed. Transformation, guess what, does not take place when you give your life to Jesus and that's it. That's the start. That's the step of the journey for the rest of your life. Now, your life, you are a new creature, but the process, the transformation that takes place, takes place through the confines of relationship and through the Word. Turn to uh, Acts chapter 2. And as I was praying about this, I said, Lord, you're going to have to help. I mean, how how do we get this over to people without without people feeling like we're kind of beating a dead horse. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's relationship related. I'm going to show you through the Word of God, how many of you believe that the Acts okay, is the book that was written to show what and how the early church was birthed and how it functioned. The epistles were written to the Acts of the church. Now we are writing the last chapters of Acts now because we are still the church and we will continue to write that till Jesus comes back. But how many of you know if you want to find out how something works, you go back and you find out how the inventors or the precedent was set. In Acts chapter 2, we see the birth of the New Testament church. Acts chapter 2. You ready? Verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. What I, you could stop right there. That is a key ingredient to any church, any business, any family. They were all in one accord in one place. There's something about unity that takes place in the body of Christ. This was the point. He said, and when, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. So there was a day that God had set for the day of Pentecost. It was 50 days. In Jewish tradition, it's 50 days after Passover. Okay? Okay. There was 50 days after Jesus, was 50 days later, was the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came. But in that day, what would have happened if they had not been in one accord? They were in one accord. And it said when they were all in one accord and in one place, suddenly there came a sound from heaven. Now, they begin, the Holy Spirit comes down, and, be, and the birth of the New Testament church is revealed. And the Holy Spirit comes and what happens? They begin to speak in new tongues. It was cloven tongues as a fire. They begin to walk and talk. And what happened is the crowd begin to come around and they begin to say, what's going on? All these folks are drunk. And Peter, who, mind you, 50 days or 51 days earlier, had just got done vehemently denying Jesus. What do I mean vehemently? I mean he... He, he used some language that was inappropriate when he was denying Jesus. He says, shoot, I don't know Je- I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know Jesus. This is the same man now that stands up in front of the same group of people that just hung Jesus out to dry, stood, stands up in front of him and says, ho, ho, ho. No, these aren't drunk like you. This is that that was prophesied by the prophet Joel. And he begins to preach. Where did that come from? It came from something that was deposited on the day of Pentecost. But it didn't just happen. It was a process. So Peter begins to pray. Peter begin, I mean, Peter begins to preach. And as a result of that, 3,000 people got born again. So th- this, is, this is what I heard the Lord say. If you want the same results as the early church, then you need to, then we need to do the same things they did. If we want the same results as the early church, how many of you believe that this is God's Word? Okay. This is God's Word speaking to me. This is God's Word speaking to us. This is God's Word to us. So when we read about these stories, it's not just a story. See, this is book of that. This is after Jesus has come, and this is after the Day of Pentecost. This holds more true to us and is more relevant to us than any other time and period in the Bible. This word, this word, this gospel preaches to us. And so, in the Book of Acts, the three thousand people got born again. To me, we need to examine and take a look at that. Let me tell you two things that I noticed right off the bat. Number one, they served God. The book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, the church, the new church, served God out of delight, not out of duty. See, the highest expression for us, I want you to serve God out of delight, not out of duty. I want to serve God out of delight. It's, it's, Father, it's my joy. It's my joy to follow you. What's that song? It's my joy to follow you. It brings delight in my life to follow you. But how many of you, just be honest with yourself, I don't want to show of hands, how many of you have served God out of duty? I've done it. But I can tell you, I've stepped over to the other side of that and served God out of delight, and it is so much Better to serve God out of delight. Nothing you will ever do or not do will ever qualify you or disqualify you for the love of God. So get the duty out of it. The only responsibility that the king, that, the, that the believer or the non-believer has is to simply receive the free gift that God has given us. Once you receive that, your obligation is nothing more than based on that basis of relationship. It's out of relationship that you serve God. Out of delight, not duty. See, that's the gospel. That's the good news. You want to present the gospel to folks because it is good news. You don't want to serve God out of duty. You want to serve Him out of delight. That's the whole point that he's trying to get. All right, so that's one of the first char- The other characteristics I see is there was power in the early church. So they didn't, see they were Jewish people. They were used to serving God out of duty, out of obligation. But even then they still didn't do it. And that was pre-Jesus. That was pre-the Holy Spirit. They served God out of delight. And there was power. There is power in the name of Jesus. We don't use Jesus' name enough. <laughs> I mean, every time we open, we get ready to pray. I make sure everybody in the room and every demon and every, every angel understands. The, the I just showed up, not enough myself, but I just come cloaked in Jesus' name. We had a service a couple of years ago when we couldn't even get out of that song, Jesus' There's power in the name of Jesus. And all of us were just enthralled by the power. There's something about in the name of Jesus. If you don't know what else to say, just say in the name of Jesus. There was something about the power that was there. It was evident. It wasn't in Peter's life before Jesus. And now all of a sudden it's in Peter's life. What happened? Well, let me tell you, there's, there's, there's two things that I see as characteristics of the new church. You ready? There's two things. Number one, in Acts chapter 2, I see the, one, the, the, the first thing that I see is a yieldedness. There's a, there's a yielding. There's a lordship that takes place in the acts of the apostles it says when the day of pentecost had fully come they were all with one accord in one place and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting then there appeared unto them divided tongues as of fire and each one of them sat on them they were all filled with the spirit and began to speak with other's tongue as the spirit gave utterance the spirit came gave them utterance but they still had to do the speaking they still had to do the talking and you read on down, Peter had to be obedient. Peter had to yield. And there was dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, and they began to talk. And Peter stood out, stand up with the eleven, raised his voice, and said there was a yieldedness to the Spirit of God inside of them. The first characteristic that I see, or the first principle that I see, because see, you can, methods are a dime a dozen. Principles are eternal. Uh, you may have a method of inviting people to church by feeding them every Sunday with an all-you-can-eat fried chicken buffet, right? That's a method. If that's what the Lord tells us to do, then guess what? That's what we'll do. But methods are a dime or a dozen. It's not the method, it's the principle. It's the atmosphere, it's the nature, it's the characteristic of the church. And one of the first main characteristics that I see was yieldedness. They were yielded to the Spirit of God. It was so evident that if you read on down, it says uh, this. It says in verse 36, I mean in verse... um, 39, for the prom or verse, uh, let me find it real quick, hang on. Verse 40, it's verse 40, it says, And with many other words he testified, exhorting them. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day 3,000 souls were added to them. Why were they added? Because, pre- because Paul was such a dynamic preacher? No, because he was yielded to the Spirit of the Lord. And it says they, and they, underline verse 42, chapter 2, verse 42, underline they. They continued. There was a yieldedness to the direction of the Spirit of the Lord that they yielded to. There was was a yieldedness, and because of that yieldedness, because of that submission, lordship, salvation is is part of lordship, okay? But you can be saved and, and not be giving the lordship of Jesus in your life. You can get born again. You can get born again and never really devote yourself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. How do I know? Because I know people. I, I did it when I was younger. You know people that give themselves to the Lord and say, I, I want you to come. And they have a dynamic spirit, And it's real. It's authentic in their heart. But because they've never been taught, they've never been, they've never been shown, they've never been in a relationship, they go back to old habits. And now they're more miserable than they've ever been. In their life, because they've tasted and seen, but no one's ever given them instruction how to live their life. Lordship is this. I'm going to go where you want me to go. I'm going to do what you tell me to do. And I'm going to say what you tell me to say. Period. My life is not my own anymore. I give my life to... But see, you want to do that because you and I have nowhere near the mental capacity and favor and connections that He does to get things accomplished in our life. He does. And so us following Him, He said in another place in Scripture, He said, no man has given up houses and land and family that in this life will not receive a hundredfold, sixty, hundredfold return. Somebody says it... It, how can I say it like that? It pays to follow Jesus. See, you don't follow. If you fell in love, if you get married because of what that woman or what that man will do for you. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Can I get a witness? No, 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 no. You marry, you get married because you love that person to such a degree. You want to give yourself to them. I I realized and recognized that I loved April because I wanted to provide for her. I wanted to make her happy. I don't mean that in the sense that I make her happy. I mean the desire of my heart was to be a blessing to her, was to honor her, was to take care of her. That's love. Don't, you, don't, you don't join up with somebody because of what they'll do for you. You don't do that. You you, we love Him because He first loved us. So there was a yield. There was a lordship. All right, the second thing I see is this is that big. You ready to write this word down? It's going to be ready. The second thing I see is they were relational. There was a community. There was a, there was a family There was something that was dug and entrenched in them. Maybe it was part of Jewish culture. I believe it was part of it. But the other part was the bonding of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came and now they became a family. They became relational. See, I remember Pastor L.A. Pastor L.A. is going to be coming in October to minister to us and be a blessing to us, but... I remember he told me a long time ago, he said, anybody can leave an organization, but it's hard to leave family. Some of you in here going, no, I'd like to leave some of my family. I don't know about you. It's hard. It, it, I'm not saying that it can't be done, but it's hard to leave family. You know, divorce, I don't care how callous you are. I don't care what you say. Divorce is hard on every person because there's something that happens spiritually when a person gets, gets married. I don't, even, I don't care if they're born again or not. It don't matter. Something transpires because that's the way God created it. He said the two shall become one. There's something that happens when you get married. And when you break that bond, there's something that happens. Because it's hard to do that. It's, it's, it's emotional. It's challenging to do that. That's the way God intended it. In verse 43, this is what he says. Chapter 2. Verse 42, excuse me, not 43, verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. The early church, let me tell you what the early church did. The early church didn't get together and say, okay, we got 3,000 people. Now here's what we got to do. We got to set up programs so that we make sure we keep all these 3,000 people. So we got to have some men's groups, some women's groups. We've got to have some luncheons. We've got to have some outreaches. We've got to have. We, they didn't do that. It says they did a couple of things. Number one, they they fellowshiped together. Wednesday nights connect groups is about relationship fellowship building, and it is just as vital in the life of a church as Sunday mornings. Now, some preachers may not say that, but I'm going to tell you straight up from Scripture, that's exactly what it does. <clears throat> the, the, the common denominator that I see with this relational aspect is there's, there's, four, there's four characteristics. There's four, uh, there's four things I want you to see about the nature of the early church relationship. Okay, They were a relational church. Everybody believes we're a relational church. But they were the relational church. So what is different? What happened with them? Number one, one of the things that I see in that confines of relationship was they were faithful. Let me tell you something. Forced community is communism. Forced community is communism. If you have to talk that woman into marrying you, something's wrong. If you've been dating, courting, I don't even say dating, if you've been courting for a long time and that man won't put a ring on your finger, do I need to get one of these women to preach to you? Forced community is community. If I got to talk you into liking me, then I'm going to have to keep talking you into liking me. And I'm going to have to keep giving and giving and giving and making sure you're happy, making sure nothing's going on. Because the minute I do something wrong, you're going to leave me. Forced community is communism. That's not what the early church said. There was a family. You know what? We're family. We're brothers and sisters in the Lord, whether you like it or not, or whether I like it or not. That's just the way it is. There was a community that they had, but it was because they were faithful. Now, they weren't faithful in and of themselves. Listen to me. Faithfulness in human terms is weak. But faithfulness by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is powerful. They were faithful in two areas. They were faithful in doctrine, and they were faithful in fellowship. The word doctrine is just they gave themselves up. We did it a while ago. We gave themselves up. They gave themselves up to the reading and the devotion of God's Word. Well, every time we get together, all you want to talk about is the Word. You want to talk about Jesus and the Word. That's right. That's exactly right. Is there anything else? I mean, you know, if you hadn't spent any time with with Papa Bill, uh, Papa Bill loves motorcycles, loves motorcycles. I mean, not loves, likes motorcycles. He loves Miss Carol, okay? He loves me and he loves Miss Carol, but he likes motorcycles, right? But you get around him long enough, and eventually he's going to preach a message on how motorcycles are God's intent for mankind and how you can get born again. I mean, it just uh, there's, I'm not saying that you don't have fun. I'm not saying you don't enjoy things. But I'm saying that it comes out of the relationship. God, he says that the, the scripture says that he, God has richly given us all things to enjoy. God's not against you and I enjoying anything. Somebody say amen on that one. He wants us to enjoy. But it's when we replace that joy and we become idols, it becomes an idol instead of God, instead of the relational aspect of Jesus. Now this thing becomes an idol. That's not what we're talking about. They were were in one accord and they they were faithful in the reading and the devotion of God's word. This word is life. I'm going to read a story to you in a minute that's going to absolutely blow your socks off because I've never seen it before, but it will make you scratch your head and go, wow. If you and I don't read our Bibles and go, you know, them children of Israel, they were just like us. They were just wandering around whining like a bunch of little babies. Wow, well, you delivered us. and We had it so good when we was in jail and in prison and locked up and had to wear them stripes and eat all that. They just whined and complained. If you don't read your Bible and associate it with yourself, You're missing out. This Bible is about real people that went through real things just like you and I go through real things. They were faithful in the reading of that word. And the second thing was fellowship. Now, the word for fellowship is koinonia. It means unity, close association, partnership. Now, listen to me. I'm not talking about the partnership like marriage or a business partner. I'm talking about a Holy Ghost-inspired partnership where the Holy Spirit is now involved. Koinonia is a unity brought about by the Holy Spirit. Something that happens that transpires in the Holy Spirit. There are men in my life And you're going to hear from one of them next week, Thaddeus. Y'all heard from him last year. Thaddeus is coming again to preach next week. He's going to come stay with us. That is a koinonia fellowship that was brought about by the divine connection of the Holy Spirit. It's not something that we manufactured because I am from South Georgia. I'm country. You understand? He's not. I'm white. And he's black. I'm married, and he ain't married, never been married, and really don't have a desire to be married. I don't understand that. How did you not? I don't, he, he just, it's just never been that thing. He's, he's a pastor of a church, I'm a pastor of a church, but something, we were looking through pictures yesterday, and maybe I might bring some pictures next week. We were looking through pictures yesterday, we were cleaning out, and I found pictures of him sleeping on our couch when we was at seminary together. Something happened. God knit that relationship. It wasn't something that I manufactured. It wasn't something that I tried to make happen. It was a koinonia. There was something that took place. But guess what? I had to be faithful to that, and so did He. But that faithfulness came by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me read this to you. The first detailed description of the early church Christians is wonderfully revealing. The followers of Jesus who had been baptized by the Holy Spirit literally devoted themselves to communication and unity with God and with each other. With the coming of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the priorities of the first church changed. And they focused upon spiritual unity with their Lord and with their brothers and sisters in Christ within the church. This is the essence of true spiritual unity, the unity of the Spirit. I've I've had relationships in my life where we've been friends. But they're not, it's not the same thing. There's There's not a koinonia. There wasn't that intimate fellowship. Guys, listen to me. If I can say anything about the heart of this church as we stand right now, is not to have programs. We're not trying to develop outreaches for the point of having outreaches. We're not trying to develop all-you-can-eat buffets and bringing people in by the drove. You know what our desire is? Koinonia. With the Father and with each other. And I don't know, I guess in religion, relationship is a dirty word because guess what? The closer I get to you, the more I'm going to see of you. But guess what? The closer you get to me, the more you realize that I ain't all sanctified and holy either. But the difference is that we want to be. The difference is that we sharpen one another. We build one another up. We pray for one another. Sometimes I just look at my wife. and Sometimes she's looked at me, and here recently I've started looking at her. I said, pray for your husband. Because I'm flesh and somebody's about to get pinched. And I'm going to pinch their head off. David was one of the most passionate people. And when David got mad, he threw his clothes off and started throwing ashes in the air. And somebody was fixing to bite the dust. Somebody was going to die. And I tell April sometimes, pray for your husband and pray for your pastor. Because somebody's about to get... I'm talking about a relationship. I'm talking about koinonia. See, out of koinonia came everything else. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Go back to Acts chapter two. I'm going to show you. Out of koinonia came what? Out of out of fellowship. Okay. Out of out of uh, out of faithfulness and fellowship, which was both inspired by the Holy Spirit. Guess what came after that? They met daily. Now, I don't mean they showed up every day at the church and they met, but they met daily. In, uh, they met daily. They met daily. What does that mean? They had corpor- they had big church and small church. That's what I like to call it. They had big church like we do on Sundays, and they had small church like we do on connect groups and youth groups and Wednesday nights. And a bunch of youth loaded up and went to the beach yesterday. That was what? Koinonia. If you don't think that the beach is conducive for Koinonia, then come on up here right now. We'll pray for you. Because the beach is what God created for Koinonia. Some of you are mountain people, right? Casey likes the mountains. Koinonia is, the, the mountains is conducive for some Koinonia, ain't it? They met daily. They didn't just meet daily. Hello, Brother Bishop. How are you? That's not what that means. They met out of koinonia, out of fellowship. We don't meet here this morning because we have to. We meet because we get to, because we want to, because we delight in each other. We delight to see what God desires to do within us, within our body as a global part of the body of Christ. But God desires for us to come together. They met daily in the synagogue. And guess what, sports fans? And house to house now I want you to turn to uh, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 10 verse 24. Acts 10 verse 24 I'm going to try to finish up. Corporate service, when they, when you meet for big church like we do now, corporate service is like a pep rally. It's, it's an opportunity to hear what God is saying. What is the direction of the church, okay? And I'm telling you the direction of this church is relational. Everything we do has to be filtered through the aspect of relationship. If what we do is not going to produce koinonia, then we ain't doing it. What should, we should do a, a, I don't know, make up something. Make up some kind of event. We're not just going to do an event to do an event. If it's not going to produce, number one, if it's not what the Holy Spirit said to do, we ain't going to do it. But there's an aspect where everything we do funnels through that koinonia, through that change, that impact, and that activate. It funnels through that. The connect groups, the smaller intimate groups, it says they met daily in the synagogues and from house to house. Are you guys meeting here or are you meeting at their house? Probably their house. That's what I thought. Yeah. So we're going to have the only group that's going to meet here is going to be my group and Bill's group. Bill's on Monday nights. Mine's on Wednesday nights. But guess what? They're going to show up and we're going to load up in the van and take off. We're not just going to stay here all the time. Koinonia is about meeting together and breaking bread together it says they met from house to house so we got two connect groups now that are going to meet outside the walls of the church one's at Morrison and sarah girth's house which is going to be led by casey and michelle and the other one's going to be at langston and inez's house which is going to be led by kevin and trish why because it is it's, there's something that happens when you go into somebody's living room and you start eating chicken together i don't i don't know it just is right she's like amen Okay, maybe not chicken, all right? But there's something that happens when you sit down on someone's couch and there's some refreshments and you begin to talk about the things of God. Why is that so natural? Because that's exactly what God created it to do. It says they met daily in the synagogues and from house to house. You ready? Verse 42. It said, breaking bread and in prayers, all right? So then it said, great fear came upon him. Verse 46. So continuing day with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. Now some of you are going to be, well, that breaking the bread is talking about communion. No, it's not. It's talking about fellowship, koinonia, break. What is it talking about? It's talking about eating chicken together. Or my roast. My wife's roast that I'm going to eat. That's going to be all up in my mouth. Yeah. Sorry, we only made enough what am i saying there is something that happens when you break bread together we've lost that aspect sometimes now now we do we like covered dish cuz we can come to the church and it's sort of like fellowship it's a little bit but there's nothing like going over to someone's house and eating together there's no, there's no pomp. There's no circumstance. There's no none of that traditionalism. You take your shoes off and you just sit there and you sop up that gravy with that biscuit and you enjoy one another's fellowship. Somebody say amen. That's part of the church. That is just as important. If not, I won't say more, but it is just as important as what we do here on Sunday. People say, well, <clears throat> you only have church on Sunday morning? No. Nobody said that. Who said that? Now, we only meet corporately on Sunday morning, but we have church Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. That's the church. You are the church, right? Everybody in here breathing? Raise your hand if you're not breathing in here this morning. If you're not here this morning, raise your hand. You are the church, the body, the ecclesia, the called out ones, the family that produce and have koinonia fellowship. You can't make that stuff up. Do you know what people are tired of? Let me tell you what the world is tired of. And let me tell you what people are tired of. They're tired of religion. They're tired of do's and don'ts. They're tired of duty. The culmin- and I'm gonna say I'm gonna, I'm gonna share this with you. The culmination of your existence as a believer does not happen and transpire on Sunday morning. Thank God. God's vision for us is to become a family. A uh, let me give you a picture. It's all of us fellowshipping together from house to house and breaking bread together. Now, if you can't see that, if that's hard for you to see, if all you see, oh, well, let me, let, me, let me do it this way. When I say to you, all right, close your eyes just for a second. Everybody close your eyes. And I want you to think of the word church. You ready? I'm going to say church. When I say the word church, what do you think of? What's the picture that comes up in your mind? All right, now look at me. If the picture that came up in your mind is what we're doing right now, that's a fraction of what God had intended. When I think of church, you know what I think of? I think of people being together in someone's house. I think of us being the hands and feet of Jesus out there in the world praying for somebody. I had to, uh, the other day, I was on the, we, we were talking as elders. And we were going around, and it's funny because we all went around and had testimonies of everything that God has been doing outside of the walls of the church. And every one of us have had experiences in the last week or two weeks praying for people, sharing with people about church, or prophesying to people. And some, all three. I was on the phone the other day. I had called the bank, and I called the bank, which I never do. I do everything online, but I called the bank because there was... Something going on with the way that we had changed from one account to a savings account. You know how you got that savings account and it goes into the checking account. Well, anyway, we had done all that and they forgot to do something and so it wasn't transferring. And I was like, what's going on? So I called and this lady, 1-800 number, lady answered the phone. Because our bank used to be a small town bank. Now they done bought up some of these other banks around here. And so now when you try to call, you get redirected to some 1-800 number. I don't like that. But anyway... So I called, and this lady, real nice lady, she said, thank you for calling Marist Bank, my name is such and such, I don't remember, Denise, can I help you? <laughs> and it was in, the she, they were in America, okay. It wasn't, hello, thank you for calling the Marist Bank, my name is Steve, it wasn't that, it was somebody that was just, they were, so she was real nice, she was like, my name is Denise, how can I help you? And I was like, yeah, I got a couple of questions about my account, can you help me? And she said, yeah, sure, what's your account number, what's your social, so I gave her all that. And she said, okay, what's your passcode? Pass because I need to verify you are who you say you are. And I go, well, I know my password for my account online, but I don't know, I don't remember the passcode. And she was like, well, it's a four-digit. And so I went through like seven four-digit numbers. None of them were it. And she said, well, I said, is there something else you can do or whatever? Because, I mean, I am who I say I am, trust me. Because that works all the time. And she said, yeah, she said, there's a secret question on the account She said, I'm going to ask you that question. She said, okay. I said, okay. She said, what do you build? Well, see, before I came, I was in the housing business, and that's what we built were houses. Well, I never changed my question. I just changed my answer. And she said, what do you build? And I said, people. (laughs) And she did just that. She started laughing. I mean, she got tickled just like y'all did. She got plump tickled. She said, people? And I said, yes, ma'am, I build people. <laughs> she, said, she said, okay. And she's laughing. And you can tell, that, you know, the wheels are turning, boy. She's, he, she's eat up with it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, she's like, I got to find out. So we finished doing it. She said, before you go, can I ask you a question? And I said, Sure. And she said, you're going to have to explain. She just totally, you know, they have the script. like, thank you. Is there anything we can do for you? If you have any questions, please call it. She just totally took the script and went off. And she goes, now, Mr. Thomas, you're going to have to explain to me. She said, what do you mean you build people? And I said, I'm a pastor. And she starts busting out laughing again. She starts laughing. She said, I ain't never heard of such. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, I ain't never heard anybody say that. And I said, well, the Bible says in Ephesians, he gave some. Now see, listen, now she done opened the door. I didn't ask her, you know, what do you build people? Can I ask you a question? No, let me ask you a question. If you were to die today and get hit by a semi-truck, do you know where you'd go spend eternity? I didn't say anything. She she opened the door, so guess what? I'm just gonna step right in. So she said, she said, I just ain't never heard of that. And I said, well, I said, well, you know, the Bible says in the book of Ephesians. It said that Jesus gave some to be apostles and prophets and evangelists and teachers and pastors. And she said, oh yeah, I know that. My pastor teaches that all the time. I know that. And I said, well, he said he gave those five gifts for the equipping. And the literal translation is to build up. My job is to build you up. How am I doing so far? Okay, this morning. My job is to build you up. And I said, so my job is to equip and to build and to train the body to do what God's called us all to do, which is the work of the ministry. That's what He's called us to do. So my job, my primary focus when I have my pastor hat on is to build uh, mechanisms and systems in place. That's what the growth track is for. Why we got four classes? Because I'm trying to give an avenue to help build what's inside of you so that you and I have a better understanding of why God's created us. Some of us have been walking around all of our life thinking, why do I think like this and why do I want to do that? And you don't understand and realize that that's why God created you. And so I'm saying all this to her and she's just like, I've never heard of that. And I said, well, you need to go back to your church and ask your pastor to teach you that. Because His job is to equip you. His job is to build you up. His job is for the perfecting. God gave us those five gifts for the perfecting, for the equipping, for the maturing of the body of Christ. Till what? Till we all come to the... Okay, we don't have to go there. Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse eleven, and he gave himself to be some apostles and pastors, evangelists, teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry. Somebody say, "I'm being equipped for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ." See, if all I did was just equip you and not build you up, then you'd be loaded down with a bunch of weapons and not have the strength and the, and the encouragement to keep going. Till we all come to the what? Now, listen, this is important. He gave us these five gifts in the body of Christ for the equipping, for the edifying of the body, till what? Till we all come to the maturity of the body of Christ that we're out there sharing the gospel and preaching the good news. What's the first thing He said? Unity. That's why we don't put up with shenanigans. We don't don't put up with shenanigans. Why? Because unity is vital in the life of a marriage and in the life of a church. It's just vital in life. He gave us the five-fold ministry gift so that we could do all these things till we all come to the unity. Guess what? We're not there, sports fans. We're getting there. We're closer there. Some of the exciting things we got planned for this, the rest of this year is we're working in, in conjunction with another church here locally to bring Brandon Brack in and work with some other churches to have a night. Listen to this. Are you ready? to have a night of praise and worship where all the churches come together till we all come to the unity. And me and Pastor Todd are praying about that, about doing that, because we want to bring people together to worship God because there's 50,000 people in the, in the surrounding counties of Tiff County and the surrounding areas that are, that's, that's the population. And only 5% of them to 10% of them go to church. That's a lot of people. Till we all come to the unity. Till we all come to the unity. Say unity. Not uniformity, unity. What's unity? That means you take your personality and your personality and your personality and you function for the common good, but how you do it and how you get there is sometimes different. Some of you like to take the back roads. Some of you don't like that. You want to get on the interstate and you want to get there and you want to get there now. Some of us like to go to the back roads. Some of us like to drive the dirt roads, don't we, baby? We like to drive the dirt roads. Why? Because we like to enjoy the scenery. Some of you just happy-go-lucky. Some of you are on a time frame. I mean, bless God, we got to get to church and we got to beat our record from last Sunday. That's personalities. But the point is, just get to church. The point is to reach the world with the gospel of the message of Jesus Christ. How you do it, is a dime or dozen, but the point is that that's what we need to be doing. Till we all come to the unity and of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. He's equipping us, He's strengthening us, He's sharpening us, getting us to the perfection that God created. I told you to go to Acts chapter 10 verse 24 a while ago, but I'm just going to read it. It said, and the following day they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had gathered together his relatives and close friends. In the Acts chapter 10, the Peter was preaching. Okay, Paul, I'm sorry, Paul. Peter. Peter, right? I got it right. Peter was preaching. The Gentiles had not yet received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Cornelius, Cornel, Cornelius was a Gentile. And he heard that Peter was coming to his house because the vision of the Lord came to him and he he walked in unity with that vision. The vision of the Lord came to him and said, I'm going to send a man, send two of your servants to go call for a man named Peter to come. Peter came, long story short, Peter came, preached, and everybody in the room got filled with the Spirit. And that was the first time the Gentiles received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it opened the door for the gospel to be reached to all the Gentile nations in the world. Do you know how those people got there? Cornelius. Invited his close friends and family. The gospel always travels on the road of relationship, best traveled on the road of relationship. Well, you know, we want to see people come to Jesus. Okay, well then tomorrow when you get up and you go to work, on your way leaving, look around your neighborhood because that's where they are. And when you get to work, look around your work because that's where they are. Because people are looking on the avenue of relationship. You and I have the greatest opportunity to invite people. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.
1: That's what I was looking for.
0: Many churches, let me read this to you, and I'm going to wrap it up. I'm closing right now. Many churches have not envisioned each person as being the key to attracting, transforming, and keeping the lost. The average church-going Christian in, in America subsequently thinks that the very act of faithfully attending church is all their ministry, and it's not. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13 and 14, and Romans chapter 12 tells us that we are to give out what we've received. The key to the lost in this generation and in this dispensation is you and me. It's not programs, and those programs, there's nothing wrong with programs. It's not events, and there's nothing wrong with events. It's relationship. People are hurting And they're dying for someone to help them. And you and I are the answer. So, what am I saying? I'm saying that they were yielded and that they were relational. And inside the confines of that relationship, there was faithfulness. There was meeting daily. And they broke bread. This is where I wanted to get to Acts chapter 20. And I'm going to kind of wrap it up with this. Acts chapter 20. I'm going to read you a story. Acts chapter 20. And I'm going to show you the the vitalness of breaking bread together. Acts chapter 20, verse 7. Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, uh uh-oh, there it is, chicken. When the disciples came together to eat some chicken, Paul, ready to depart the next day, Spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room. Now, some of you just checked out right there, talking about. Now, listen. I came to eat chicken. I didn't hear. I didn't come to hear Pastor preach till midnight. But listen to me. This is in somebody's home. There's life giving. There's something that's transpiring here. Listen. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together, and in the window sat a certain young man named Judas. Eutus, who was sinking into a deep sleep. Uh-oh, somebody's sleeping while the pastor's preaching. Hey, listen, if you don't read your Bible, you're fixing it. I'm telling you, this is funny. I've never seen this before. But if you don't read your Bible like this, you're missing out. Ready? Somebody say, he was asleep while the man was preaching. He had too much chicken. He done got too full and then passed out. Because, I mean, it was midnight. He hung in there, boy, as long as he could, but he done passed out. He was overcome by sleep. <laughs> sorry. Any of you better, ever been overcome by sleep? Whew, boy, that's rough. Some of you that came back from the beach like, yes, sir, Pastor, right now I'm overcome with sleep. And as Paul continued speaking, he didn't stop, he just kept on going. He wasn't like, hey, wake up, what are you doing? He just kept on going. Listen, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. The man done fell asleep because he was overcome by sleepiness and fell out of the window and died. But Paul went down, you ready? But Paul went down and fell on him and embraced him and said, do not trouble yourselves for his life is in him. Now when he had come up, had broken bread and eaten. So Paul lays down on the guy and raises him up out of the dead. Said, don't worry about this, God's got him. And the man wakes up and comes back to life. And now sitting around there going, glory to God. And what does Paul say? Paul said, well, Let's go finish that chicken. Isn't that what it's saying? But Paul went down, fell on him, embraced him, said, Do not trouble yourself, for his life is in him. Now when he had come up, he broke bread and had broken bread and eaten, and talked a long while, even till daybreak he departed. And they brought the young man in alive, and they were not a little comforted. What does that mean they were not a little comforted? They were greatly comforted. The man fell out and died. Paul raised him up. And what was the first thing they did? Well, let's finish eating and talking. So they go right back to the dinner table. Listen to me. That was the life. I remember, i close with this. I remember uh, when I first started coming here, I went to eat breakfast with somebody at Shoney's. Boy, you can be overcome with some bacon at Shoney's. You know what I'm saying? And so we were eating the Shoney's and we were, I mean, we was, I was killing it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I was there to, I was there to put them out of business. I mean, I was hungry. So we're eating and all of a sudden I look over and there's this older man who had oxygen tank and he just looked like this. And all of a sudden he just said, wow, and hit the table. I mean, what you going to (laughs) do? Yeah, Exactly. I didn't, I mean, I saw his eyes. I saw him getting ready to, pass, but I mean, he just, and I mean, I, I saw it coming, and I mean, he hit the table hard, just fell over. And his wife just starts hysterically going nuts. I'm telling you, without even thinking about it, without any emotion whatsoever, something inside of me rose up And I stepped out of my seat, and I walked over there, and I said, you know what I said? What did I say? In the name of Jesus, I was like, you ain't going to die while I'm eating bacon (laughs) and chicken or whatever. In my mind, this is what I'm thinking. In my mind, what rose up in me, in the name of Jesus, you ain't dying while I'm here. And I laid my hands on him, and all I said was, in the name of Jesus, I command life to come back into you. Now, I'll be honest with you, that was one of the first times I've ever had that kind of experience. And all I know to tell you is it just rose up and you listen to your spirit. Don't think about it. Don't. I'm saying inside of me it rose up. It was like, all right, boy, it's time to step up to the plate. And I, wrote and I just, in the name of Jesus, I declare life. Well, they, the ambulance came, got him, took him to the hospital. I called him that afternoon. He was a rough man, too. Boy, he was rough. I, was, I don't remember his name, Mr. Smith or whatever. I said, hey, Mr. Smith, my name's Lawrence. I'm a pastor here in town. I was like, listen, I was the one that came over and prayed for you. I just wanted to check and make sure. Oh, I'm doing great. Thank you, Pastor. I mean, he totally changed his... You know, listen, you come visit us, whatever, you know. The point was, I wasn't trying to solicit him for church. I was just being the hands and feet of Jesus. But something... Came out. And then guess what? We went back to eating bacon. (laughs) I read that this morning. I said, glory to God, that's me. In the name of Jesus. Y'all getting some more bacon out here on this buffet? Come on now. There's something that happens when you break bread together. Something that happens. There's a unity that takes place. Stand with me. Let me give you some. Let me let me let me share with you some results that I see as a result of these things. As a result of their unity, as a result of their fellowship, as a result of them meeting, as a result of them giving uh, giving uh, faithfulness to the word and to the doctrine and to fellowship. As a result, guess what? Three thousand people were added to the church in one day. It also says that many signs and wonders took place. It says that there was no lack. It says that they sold their possessions. Now, they didn't just sell everything and give it to the pastor and say, "You give." No, that's not. The heart of what they did was they said, Man, we don't want to see nobody without lack. So guess what? Everybody was meeting everybody's need as they saw it. Sometimes you think, Well, you know, man, I need a word from the Lord if I'm supposed to take care of that need. No, you really don't. He said, we are the family. We're supposed to take care of one another. Now, maybe you may not have all of it. You may not have but a portion of it. But you can pray. Say, Lord, I know that person is in need. Help them meet that need and be obedient to the Holy Spirit. There was happiness and gladness. They were serving out of delight, not duty. There was great joy, it said in Acts chapter 2. There was great joy. Why? Because they were able to fill the building up. No, because they were seeing lives transformed. I am so much more interested in seeing lives transformed because that's contagious. People flock where they can get their lives changed. And the last couple of things I saw was favor and the growing family. It says the last part of Acts chapter 2, it says this, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God. They worshiped together. They worshiped together. They didn't just stand around and watch them worship. There's something that happens when you and I come together and we worship together. Now I'm not getting on to you but I'm going to get on to you. There's something that happens church when everybody comes in and we join together. And this is what happens. Praising God and having favor with all people and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. you, Lord. Father, we thank you this morning that we are the church, that you have given us the mandate, you have given us the ability, you have given us the tools, you have given us the spirit to have true, intimate, koinonia fellowship with one another and with the world, to be the light that the world craves, They are craving. Everything that man craves is in Jesus. And I thank you, Lord, that we are ambassadors of that. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I don't want to put you on the spot. I'm not going to ask you to walk up here to the front. But I am going to ask you a couple of questions. You know, we're geared. We're building something. My job, my goal... I don't even even like that word job. My responsibility, my call is to build and edify and to equip. So here's my question to you. Are you enjoying your relationship with God? Are you practicing? Are you participating in your relationship with God out of duty or out of delight? Have you embraced your uniqueness? Do you even know what God's called you to do? Do you even know why you were born? Do you have that sense of purpose? Do you have that focus? Are you laughing and having a good time in God with each other? If not, I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray with you. I want to pray with you that you would embrace everything that God has for you as the Lord of your life. I'll tell you what, let's just do this. I think this rings true for all of us. So why don't we just all participate in this. Father, in the name of Jesus, just lift your hands toward the Lord. Just say, Lord, Father, in the name of Jesus, I desire to enjoy you out of delight, not out of duty. You have not commanded me to follow you out of duty, But out of love. Because I love you because you first loved me. So I embrace everything you've called me to do, everything you've made me to be, and I give my life to you as the Lord, as the director, as the overseer of my life. In Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for this. I thank you for all that you've said this morning. Father, I pray that whatever rambling thoughts that I've had, whatever things that I've said that were not, I pray that you would soften them, water them, nourish them in our hearts. Let us catch it rather than hear it. Some things are better caught than taught, Lord. Help us to catch what it is that you've called us to do, and it is to be relational. It is to fellowship. It is to go into all the world, and in that avenue and in that spirit of koinonia, in that spirit of fellowship, just be infectious to the world for Jesus. Thank you for it. Bless you for it. In the name of Jesus. Papa Bill, will you come and dismiss us? And Granny Carol.
2: I just want to declare something over all of us. I just felt like the Lord just wanted us to hear this this morning. I said, today I want to declare words of blessings over you. You are a person of destiny. You are equipped. You are creative. You were designed for a purpose. You are loved, chosen, and accepted by God Almighty. There is nothing you can do to make him love you more and nothing you can do to make him love you less. His grace is sufficient for you. His angels have charge over you. You are blessed in your coming in and your going out. You you have uncommon wisdom. You have uncommon joy. You have uncommon peace. He is your vindicator. He will fight for you. And no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Amen? You agree to that? Amen.
1: I always told you I'm a blessed man. You see why? Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. You said you watch over your word to perform it. You're not a man that you should repent. But have you said it, you will do it. So, Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you, Father God, that we are being transformed. We are being changed into the very image of Jesus Christ. That's what your word says, sir. So we believe it to be so. Father God, we take that into the world. We take the good news, the gospel. You have given to us the ministry of reconciliation. We are ambassadors for you, sir, to reconcile those who don't know you back to the Father who loves them. Father, I declare us blessed because you say so, because you watch over us. In Jesus' name, amen.